This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He heads to the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown, Ole Miss! This is College Football Game Day. Roberts is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the four, to the He's three. In. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Are you ready for the brawl for it all later today in Tuscaloosa? The battle for the SEC West first place on the line later today. Number six, Texas A&M. Number one, Alabama. Doesn't get better than this. Rockin' Rich Sermonello. I have never been this amped up for a college football game ever. I can't wait 3.30 later today. Hey, listen, if you're a if you're a fan of SEC football, Joe, good weekend for you because it's not just Alabama, Texas A&M. Six teams from the SEC West are ranked. All six of those teams will play one another. Ole Miss versus LSU, Auburn versus Arkansas, and what I think is an underrated game, but obviously number one versus number six. All of us will be paying attention to Alabama, Texas A&M later today. And this is what it's all about. Stay with us for the next two hours. Rich and I have a great show planned for you today. Great guests lined up. 10.31 Eastern Time. Former Miami running back, Rich, Melvin Bratton will be joining us at 11 o'clock. Former Texas A&M standout offensive lineman and all pro in the NFL, Richmond Webb will be joining us. And then at 11.15, we're going to go rapid fire with former Georgia Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen breaking down those three big games in the SEC. This is what it's all about. Stay with us. You can follow me on Twitter at Go for the Two. You can follow Rich at Twitter at Rich Sermonello. That's C I R M I N I E L L O. If you want to talk college football with us, give us a call 844 843 6879. That's 844 843 6879. Quick recap of some of the great games this this week. Thursday night, Virginia Tech dismantled the Hurricanes 37-16. to uh, Later that night, it was Boise State holding on for the 28-27 to victory over the Cougars. Last night, three great games. USF losing to Temple 46-30. to San Diego State ran all over San Jose State. Donnell Pumphrey passed Marshall Falk in the career rushing touchdowns and career total touchdowns. The Aztecs blitzed San Jose State 42-3. And then the thriller in Cal Berkeley last night, 52-49. Cal beats Oregon in double overtime. And, Rich, that's where I want to start the show today because, to me, Mark Helfrich, his job is on the line. You can wear 147 different combinations in turn of uniforms, but they don't run, they don't pass, and they don't tackle. This Oregon team is bad, and we've seen a significant drop-off from production over the last couple of years now. Yeah, I'm going to be very interested to see what that administration does. Mark Helfrich is a very good offensive coach, inherited a lot of talent from Chip Kelly, obviously played in a national championship game and lost. They can still score a lot of points, and they have a young quarterback. We saw it last night, Joe. Justin Herbert, who threw six touchdown passes, is just a true freshman. But as I'm watching that game, the defense is a is a neon clad sieve. I, I mean, they can't stop anyone. They are so fundamentally unsound, so poorly coached. Brady Hoke wasn't the answer. Mark Helfrich brought him in. 
you know, nothing is going to change in Eugene in, in, until you start to make some stops. And, and that's the problem. I know they're not a defensive team. I know that's not the calling card, but they were a mess again last night. Three straight games in which they've given up at least 51 points. I don't know what happens right now. I don't know if they look in a different direction. It always comes down to who is available and whether you could do better. But beyond everything, if Mark Helfrich survives, they have to get another defensive coordinator and fix what's happening on that side of the ball. I agree with that. And when I look at this team overall, I've said it. uh, I've been very flamboyant and and outspoken about Oregon. I said, let's just put tackling dummies out there and let uh, the offenses run schematic seven on seven because you can't stop. They don't play a stitch of defense. And last year, they allowed well over 300 yards passing per game. This year, they're in the area of 290. They're giving up 248 rushing yards on the ground. But the Physicality. I mean, that's the one MO that the Pac-12 for years now, even when they were back at the Pac-10, they they never matched up to the SEC or the Big Ten in terms of uh, the stereotype, in terms of the physicality on defense. We've seen it with USC when they won the national championships, but from top to bottom for the conference, it's got that bad rap. And when you watch this game last night, yeah, it's great. Uh, fireworks, you, keep it, you stay up until 4 o'clock in the morning watching mm-hmm. this ballgame. But you have to play defense. That's part of the game, too. And when you look at this conference overall, I mean, that's why everyone loves Washington because at least they're doing it on both sides of the football. Yeah, and listen, who's the leader in the South right now? Utah. And Utah plays defense. They have an awful offense. They've had injuries all year long. But Utah is physical at the line of scrimmage. They play defense. So right now, they and Colorado are tied atop the Pac-12 South. You mentioned Washington. It's a good point. They play defense. They've got the young quarterback in Jake Browning. But unless you have a once-every-generation talent like a Marcus Mariota, you cannot overcome the lapses that they have in defense. And yes, it's physicality. But as I watched that game last night you know this is this is week eight of the season and and the defensive safeties are out of place uh corners have no idea what's going on linebackers are lost they look like a poorly coached team and again i don't know how much of that is going to fall on mark helfrich's head i'm sure the administration right now is thinking okay you know we get rid of helfrich what do we have next there are no guarantees can we get a tom herman up to eugene that would obviously initiate a change but a lot is going to hinge on what they believe is the next step I don't think Chip Kelly's going back. I've seen that floated, and I don't, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Oh, how big of a loss was offensive coordinator Scott Frost, a former Nebraska quarterback yeah. that now became uh, head coach at UCF, and he's doing wonders with that team. I mean, they're sitting at 3-3 three and three overall, but yeah. he, he's really transformed that team from what George O'Leary had there at, at last year, 0-12, while well, they're playing much better. Can you imagine the administration saying we should have kept Scott Frost around yeah. just in case? Well, we'll see how that plays out because that's an interesting scenario to to see. Uh, I could tell you this from I've spoken to some people uh, when you see Tom Herman, he is the shoe-in or the front-runner for LSU. Who's going to make the move to uh, Oregon now? I mean, it's not an easy fix now because now, maybe a few years ago when Helfrich took over, that team had talent and depth on both sides yeah. of the football. Now, they're sort of, uh, the cupboard is bare on the defensive side of the ball, and who wants to rebuild that when you have teams like Washington, when you have teams like UCLA and USC and an up-and-coming team in Washington State, and that's a team that I want to bring up as well in terms of their
they're sitting at four and two overall. They're playing very well. They're running the football. They're averaging 140 yards on the ground. But Rich, they're playing defense. They're plus yep. uh, six in turnover margin. Uh, actually, plus eight in turnover margin. And they're only holding opponents to 108 rushing yards per game. When when you can stop opponents in terms of rushing attack in the Pac-12, what a dominant defensive front like that. They can make some noise in the Pac-12 as well and challenge Washington. I mean, this is a team that we really have. If they win tonight in Arizona State, this is a team that we really have to take seriously in the Pac-12. It's the only one right now that's going to challenge Washington. I mean, you hope at the end of the season, a little over a month from now, the Apple Cup means something in the Pac-12 North race. I agree with you wholeheartedly. We think of Washington State, Mike Leach, uh, passing game, Luke Falk, Gabe Marks. Those are all the playmakers. Those are the guys we're going to talk about every week. But you're absolutely right. Alex Grinch, their defensive coordinator, second year on the Palouse, has done a remarkable job with a defense that does not attract those four- and five-star kids, names like Hercules Mata'afa. Those are players that are now wreaking havoc in opposing backfields. They create havoc. They get to the ball very quickly. They create turnovers. So Washington State is getting closer to being a complete team. So kudos to Mike Leach, who took over a very difficult situation. Has that team possibly, don't think it happens, possibly winning a Pac-12 North division this year? What's interesting is I I was hit up on Twitter, and I brought up an interesting part about uh, overall team growth and good teams and bad teams, and we'll catch, we'll catch it at the end of the break. But I, I just want to get your quick thoughts. Turnover margin. Do you feel turnover margin is something that is just random? Because I don't. I think it's a coached attribute. Good teams have it. Bad teams. Absolutely. I agree. So I want to go through some of these and just run down some of the top teams in turnover margin this year. And just we have about 30 seconds. Get your thoughts. Washington plus 13. Western Michigan plus 12. BYU plus 11. Washington plus eight, Ohio State plus eight, Texas A&M plus six. And Rich, here's the thing in terms of the top five, Bama plus four, Ohio State plus eight, Michigan plus six, Washington plus 13, Colorado plus six. We'll take this Mm. at the break. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello. We're just getting started. Stay with us. We're live in New York City Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on College Football Game Day, live from New York City on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Some great games at 12 o'clock. Rich, an intriguing battle in the ACC. North Carolina State, the upstart Wolfpack, fresh off their overtime loss to Clemson. Now go to Louisville and take on Lamar Jackson. I know you're not sold on this team, but they really impressed me on the road in Death Valley. And I really think they play this game a lot closer than people think. They're holding opponents to 91 rushing yards on the ground. I think they can contain Lamar Jackson today. Yeah, listen, I'm not going to be stubborn. I mean, the September Sermonello was really down on (laughs) NC State and Dave Doran. The October Sermonello has been impressed by NC State, I have to admit. I mean, he really is making progress with that program, Joe. Last week was no uh, no fluke if Kyle Bambard kicks that field goal. You have NC State going into Death Valley and beating one of the top five teams in the country. And, and that, to me, really made a statement. So I wholeheartedly agree with you. I, I look at this point spread up around three touchdowns. I, I know with Lamar Jackson, you could just crank out 50 at the drop of a hat. 
but I think this is a close game. What did we see from Louisville or NC State to make us believe that there are, there's a three-touchdown difference between these two programs? Uh, I think the mindset is that, well, Louisville uh, took Duke uh, sort of like laxed, and they walked through the motion, so now they're just going to turn it on and just throttle NC State. But I can tell you this, this team is playing with confidence. They didn't get that victory last week, but they really held Deshaun Watson in check, and they brought it on the defensive side of the ball. Just look at that hit on Wayne Gallman. They were not intimidated by Clemson. I think Louisville is just a one-hit pony in terms of their offense. As Lamar Jackson goes, so does that offense. So to me, I like the team that relies on it, on all of its players. And like I said, defensively, they're only giving up 18 points per game and only 317 total yards of offense to opposing offenses. I mean, that's incredible. Joe, they dominated the line of scrimmage last week against Clemson. They made the Tiger offensive line look like it could be a liability over the final month of the season. So Bradley Chubb, B.J. Hill, Contavia Street, Darian Roseboro, those are big-time defensive linemen. I think they cause a problem today for that Louisville O-line. Yeah, I agree with you. I think NC State will be in this game from start to finish. This is one of the 12 Agreed. o'clock games. Uh, Rich and I are in our agreement. I mean, it, it should be a very intriguing battle. When you look at their offense, they're averaging 31 points per game, 248 passing yards, 186 rushing yards, very balanced. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get into it. The big game's week number one. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Day, Game Day live from the Fantasy Sports Radio Network studio here in New York City. Rich and I left off talking about turnover margin and how important it is in terms of successful seasons. And Rich, that's where I wanted to start before we get into the week one breakdowns. We mentioned some of the top teams, but you look at some of the bottom teams in FBS this year. Michigan State, minus three. Oklahoma, minus seven. Boise State, which is uncharacteristic of them, they have five in their win against BYU at minus eight, but Stanford and Notre Dame at minus four. To me, when you're unfocused, it's a discipline thing. When a team is lax, that's when turnovers get created and forced. And when you see a lack of it in terms of consistency week after week, it's no longer just the way the ball bounces. To me, it's a trend. Yeah, I totally agree. You and I have been around football programs for the better part of our lives. These types of mindsets are coached. This is coached throughout the offseason. It's stripping balls. It's, it's attacking balls, fumbles that are on the ground. It's an awareness and instinctiveness that is taught to young players. So it's not surprising that when you see teams that are struggling, they're on the uh, you know less than 50-50 line in terms of turnover margin. The ones that are thriving, oftentimes the Washingtons, are well above that line. That is something that's taught. It's not luck. Sure, at times they're going to be a bounce of a ball. It's a batted ball that winds up in a in a safety's uh, breadbasket. But over the course of a season, this is taught, and successful teams tend to do, uh, obviously, turnover margin very well. Yeah, right. And you have that one or two teams where they overcome it. Because, I, you know, two years ago, yeah. Alabama, when they made the playoff, was minus two. And you look at, you know, Ohio State and Oregon and Florida State, those first four in 2014. Oregon moved on. Ohio State moved on. Those teams were positive in turnover margin. The two teams that got knocked out at the end were Florida State, who finished the season at minus six, and Alabama. Last year, 
Clemson made it to the national championship game, they were minus two. But you look at a team like Michigan. This year, they're positive in turnover margin, plus six. They're dominating teams because now they're forcing and creating turnovers. In 2014, they were minus 16 in turnover margin, one of the worst turnover margins in the country under Brady Hoke. Last year, as successful as they were last year, 10 wins. The reason why they couldn't make it to the elite level, they finished the year at minus four. And you look at the games that they lost. They turned the football over. And that's something that Jim Harbaugh wanted to preach this year. And that's why they have the dividends of the success because now they're forcing those turnovers and they're just steamrolling their opponents because now they're getting short fields and giving their offense an opportunity to score points. Which is something they need, too. I mean, it's such an advantage to an offense like Michigan, which has the receivers, the tight ends, and Jake Butt. But, you know, Wilton Spate at this point is still a middling quarterback. Uh, the backfield, I don't, I don't think there's star power in that backfield right now, but you give them those short field opportunities, you put them at the opponent's 40-yard line, you give them more possessions than they otherwise would have, and all of a sudden those offensive numbers look better than they actually are so Michigan's a great example some teams can overcome turnovers we've seen Tennessee do that at times this year but by and large that's one of those statistics that is tried and true you win turnover margin you got a shot to finish the season uh, above 500 I feel like we're in alignment today our chi is in order oh, I'll change I, that. I, no I'm gonna change that as soon as the picks start coming Joe well let's get right into it heads. let's get right into a big 10 battle Wisconsin and Iowa 12 o'clock start Wisconsin look very very good at home in Madison last week, losing that battle to top-ranked Ohio State, 30-23 to in overtime. They now go on the road. It's a rivalry game. Iowa won this battle 10-6 to last year. They're coming off a 365-yard rushing performance last week in West Lafayette. I like the way Desmond King in that back end is playing for Iowa. I think they can create some turnovers. Hornibrook still is a redshirt freshman. I'm calling the upset. Iowa gets the upset over the Badgers today. Yeah, there you go. Right there. It didn't take long, did it? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I like Wisconsin. I, I, a tough turnaround game. Obviously, an emotional loss. You lose in overtime to Ohio State. That's crushing. But I saw more of the positive in that Wisconsin team last Saturday night than the potential negatives. I'm concerned about Iowa. They have won the past couple of games, but they've been up and down throughout the season. Here's the one thing that stands out for me, Joe. This is not the typical Iowa offensive line. They've allowed 18 sacks this season. They've been marginal in pass protection. C.J. Beathard is not a mobile quarterback. I think that's going to be a problem against that pass rush of Wisconsin. Vince Beagle, their outside linebacker, is back this week. Corey Clement running better last week than he has all season. So I see it 24-17. I do think it'll be low scoring and close. But I think Wisconsin gets out of there with, with an important Big Ten West victory. Wow, it's right on the number because Wisconsin at this time is a four-point favorite. So we'll see how it plays out. But I think Iowa gets the upset. I just think that, that that back end with Desmond King could create some coverages that force Hornibrook to read coverage. I think they'll stack the box against Clement. I, I agree with you with the rushing attack. But I attribute that to Austin Blythe, the center, moving on to the NFL. You know as well as anybody, when your center moves on, he's the guy that makes all the line calls. He has to pick up blitz packages. The continuity on the offensive line takes a while. They have some injuries. And the loss of Tevin Smith and Vandenberg, now who's been hurt over the last couple of weeks, yeah. has hurt the passing attack. So, But I like what I saw last week from the offensive line and the way they were able to open up holes. 
Well, listen, to, to your point, if you're correct and Iowa wins, and, and that wouldn't be a, a shocker, home game, rivalry game, you know, Kirk Ferentz, good coach. But if you're right, think about this. Wisconsin is still a top 10, top 12 team. They would be out of the Big Ten West race at that point. I mean, that would be you'd, you'd be done. Uh, you know, they, they would not bounce back. They'd have three conference losses. There's no way they would catch Iowa. So that would be a shocking, real uh, deflation for for Wisconsin in Week Eight. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out in about an hour and a half. Another marquee battle in the Big Twelve: Texas and Kansas State. Texas, a very impressive victory at, in Austin last week over Iowa State. They trailed in the first half and poured it on in the second half. They go to, on the road to Manhattan, where they have not played very well, but they dominated this matchup in Austin on the ground with Tyrone Swoops last year. I do not like this Kansas State team in terms of offensive output. I think they're limited. They're only passing for 166 yards per game. That's the way you have to beat Texas, Rich. Attack their secondary. They're giving up well over over 250 yards per game, close to around 280. So I don't see t- uh, Kansas State stretching them vertically. I think Texas will be able to run the football. They're averaging around 238 yards on the ground. I think Texas wins this game by double digits. I, I agree, not necessarily with the double digits. That that might be a bit aggressive, but I I. I was impressed by Texas last week. I'm always a little bit skittish about getting on the Charlie Strong bandwagon or the Longhorn bandwagon, but that was an impressive victory. 27-6 over Iowa State, but Iowa State was the team that rolled up points in consecutive weeks against Baylor and Oklahoma State, two games they could have won, and Texas shut them down. Now, that could be a harbinger of things to come. If they begin to play better defense, it was the second game for Charlie Strong calling defensive signals. If they could start playing better defense they can have a revival in the second half of the season so i agree with you i think a very important game i think they pull the minor upset in manhattan and that's the thing if your job is on the line and you're a defensive guru like charlie strong i would want to go down with the ship meaning i would want to go down making the defensive calls yeah i mean if your job is on the line and you're going to be kicked out of there well i'm going to make all the decisions that way that my team at least i know i made it i did it my way when you look at texas overall they're average 38 points per game. They have balanced 261 passing yards per game, 238 rushing yards on the ground, and defensively giving up 165 rushing yards to opponents. But you look at this Kansas State offense, 167 passing and 175 rushing. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonella live in New York Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on College Football Game Day, live from New York, Rich and I touched on Louisville and NC State. Another intriguing battle is Indiana and Northwestern. Big Ten battle. Indiana looked very impressive at home against Nebraska. Northwestern dominated Michigan State. I mean, they dominated them. 54 points on that Spartan defense. I like Northwestern here, Rich. I, I just not sold as a whole on Indiana. I think they played very well on, at home in Bloomington. But away from home, I sort of like the Wildcats in this matchup. I totally agree. I, I mean, you want to talk about teams that have done an about face in a short period of time. That is Northwestern. I, I mean, you look at early in the season, scoring seven points in a loss to an FCS team, you know, staggering out of the gate. Now, all of a sudden, they're rolling up points. They also beat Iowa in Iowa a couple of weeks ago. They have the triplets, Joe. 
on offense to really make some noise and be a spoiler in the Big Ten West down the stretch. I'm talking about Clayton Thorson behind center, Justin Jackson at running back, Austin Carr out wide at wide receiver. Northwestern, I know the record doesn't look good, 3-3 three and three right now. This is a very feisty dangerous team over the second half of the season. I agree. They play disciplined football and on the back end in terms of the linebacker play of Walker, I mean, he's unbelievable with the way he can move sideline to sideline. So I agree with you. And the one thing that Pat's Fitzgerald does. He makes adjustments. He doesn't have top five talent. We know that. But he coaches that talent up and and you see the progression. You see it from week one now and they've knocked off solid, disciplined teams. Iowa on the road. uh, Michigan State in East Lansing. I mean, that's those are two quality wins. I don't care how bad uh, Michigan State is to dominate them and put up 54 points on that defense on homecoming. On homecoming, too. Most ever in the Mark D'Antonio era. So for people, to your point, for people who say "Eh, Michigan State's down this year, I know they are, but Michigan State has good, solid Big Ten talent. No one has ever scored that many points on a Mark D'Antonio coach team. That says something to me. I agree with you. So we both like Northwestern today. They're yes. laying three points. I think they win this game by about 10. I think Legau, Legau and, and Divine Redding and Ricky Jones will be in this ball game. But I still like the back end and the secondary play of Northwestern. Think they think they win this ball game uh, by 10 to 13 points. A couple of other games that Rich and I are going to look at when we uh, turn our attention to North Carolina, Virginia. We're also going to look at Purdue and Nebraska. TCU in West Virginia, Arkansas, Auburn, Colorado and Stanford. We're just getting started. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, live from New York City, the Big Apple. Stay with us. We're taking a quick break. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, we're waiting for former Miami running back Melvin Bratton to be joining us. We'll try to get him on the back end. We'll continue our coverage. We were talking Texas and Kansas State. Rich, we both like Texas in this battle. I, I, I think that when you look at the offensive-defensive line play of the Longhorns as well, I think they have a significant advantage over K-State in this game. Yeah, listen, Kansas State has to face the Texas Techs of the world to, to, to win Big 12 games at this point. They have to play really bad defenses. Texas has been up and down, but I think the trend is pointing in the right direction, Joe. I, I like the way the Longhorns played against Iowa State, got pressure uh, on the first level. You have Malik Jefferson on the second level. That was young. Uh, defensive backs like Devontae Davis and Holton Hill gradually rounding into form. This is a huge... I mean, every game's going to be huge for for Charlie Strong. He's got to build some momentum to take into November. He's got a shot of returning in 2017, but it really begins this week. He's got to build. He's got to build off that Iowa State victory. Another marquee battle, 330, is TCU in West Virginia. I really like this battle. You look at this ball game outside of last year's victory in Fort Worth by the Horn Frogs, where they won 40-10. to 10. The last three games have been decided by a total of five points. West Virginia with a dominating performance over uh, Texas Tech in Lubbock last week. Very solid defensive front seven that pressured Patrick Mahomes repeatedly. It looked like he was playing schoolyard football. Every time I looked at the screen, he was running for his life. They now have an opportunity to make a statement against TCU later today. 
But I'm telling you this, I love Gary Patterson and this defense, the way they're playing, 22 sacks through six games. And I look at Kenny Hill in that offense that's passing for 362 passing yards through the air. I think they can attack the Mountaineer secondary that's given up 250 passing yards to opposing quarterbacks. So are you saying sofas will be safe in Morgantown? There will be no burning of furniture later this evening? Is that what you're suggesting, Joe? I am. I'm saying, I'm saying West Virginia right now is in trouble with this ball game with TCU. The, keep in mind, they're coming off a bye. TCU has a lot of speed. They're not elite like they are in years past, but they have enough to challenge that secondary of West Virginia later today. You know, I, 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 uh, I was impressed by the Mountaineers uh, heading back home now. I, I was so impressed with the complete game that they pitched against Texas Tech. It wasn't just the offense. It's the defense. A uh, big surprise for me. Eight or nine new starters this year. They've been very solid. They have the transfer cornerback, Antonio Crawford from Miami, who's done a nice job. I, I think West Virginia holds serve. TCU has been incomplete defensively, kind of hard to figure what you're going to get from them on a week-to-week basis. Kenny Hill is posting big numbers, Joe, but he's also thrown a lot of interceptions. So I, I think West, I have West Virginia winning this game by 10. Wow. Uh, so I, I, I think they continue their run, get to 6-0, and and, and uh, maybe this is the Big 12 team that can carry the banner in the second half. Well, I thought at the beginning of the year this would be the team that would surprise some people out of them finishing third in the Big 12. But again, when I look at West Virginia, pass rush is a concern. Five games only nine sacks. I know they got some pressure on Patrick Mahomes, but Kenny Hill is a mobile quarterback. Now, there is wind and rain in the forecast, so keep that in mind in terms of uh, totals and over and all that stuff, because could could that affect the game plan for TCU? And the better rushing team, in my opinion, is West Virginia that can pound the football between the tackles with Russell, Shell, and Crawford. But for me, I still like TCU's speed on the edge. I think they pick up this ballgame. I think it's close. I, I, either way, three or four points, but I do think the yeah. Horned Frogs get a three, four-point victory over West Virginia in this matchup. To me, it'll be one at the line of scrimmage. For fans who watch this game, if you want to watch the best matchup of the game, it's the West Virginia offensive line, which leads the Big 12 and fewest sacks allowed, versus that TCU defensive line. Agree with you, Joe. Lots of talent. Josh Carraway, James McFarland off the edge. That's where this game will be won or lost. Miami on Thursday night lost their third straight game to Virginia Tech, 37-16. to But what better way to talk about the U than with a former standout from Miami. He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. I want to welcome in former Hurricanes running back Melvin Bratton. Mel, how are you today? What's up, Joe? How you doing, bro? I'm doing well. Mel, three straight losses. It started with that loss to Florida State. Can this team rebound, number one? And more importantly, is Mark Rick the guy to change this and change the culture to get it back to the way it was when you rocked it in the, in Miami? Yes. Uh, you know, everybody's panicking and going bananas right now because we started out, you know, we had a bunch of pie games early, so we really didn't have a test. So what's happening is, and, and, and I, I'm saying this, I've been going on record, we have a lot of Al Golden kids on that uh, team. And what I mean by that, you know, I don't, I didn't feel like we did a great job as far as recruiting, you know, all these different stars that they throwing out four or five stars. 
you know, we got to go start looking at football players. And I, I, I totally disagree with the way the system is. Uh, guys are running around in shorts, you know, saying doing uh, seven on seven camps, and you're giving these type stars. You know, you got to go back to watching film. You know, Warren Sapp wasn't a five star. Ray Lewis wasn't a five star. So, you know, those those things are overrated in a sense like that because, you know, you're not doing your job. You're basically going on an area guy who's telling you who's the top guy because he likes his kid, you know. So we got to go back to watching film and seeing the, the attitude, you know, as far as, you know, the guys that really want to play at you. Melvin, Rich Sermonello, how long do you think realistically that process would take? to kind of flesh out the Al Golden kids, get the Mark Richt kids, and have a new culture in Miami? How long do you think Kane fans will have to wait? Well, at least you know, a couple, you know, a couple years. But you got to look at it too, and not making excuses. We're playing with two babies at linebacker. You know, with you know losing Muhammad, you know, saying losing uh, Grace. Those two are really, really hurt. You know, that hurt us real bad. You know, saying to go in with these puppies. You know, saying true freshmen. So I mean, they're doing a good job. They're holding up. But, you know, you get microwaved right out of high school to go straight into a starting role in week one. A lot of kids want that, but, you know, you're not really physically and mentally ready for an ACC-type, you know, uh, you know, attack like that. So these kids are holding up. They're doing a great job. But one thing I can say, you know, I was at the North Carolina game last week, they, they, they were competing, you know, and they're competing now. They're, they're, they're fighting. I mean, you know, like Florida State game, you know, it went down to that field goal. That game could have turned one way or the other. It could have turned the momentum far as a positive, and which is this one here turned to a negative. So had we won that game or tied it up, I think the attitude momentum, it kind of shot them, you know, said let the air out of them. You know, I think that they were like, you know, they fought, fought, fought so hard and didn't win, not making excuses. But, you know, I think the team was deflated, you know, after that game. I agree with you, Mel. I mean, when I look at that loss on Thursday night, I think it was the residual effects of the last couple of games. And you're right. They were in that Florida State game. They had a chance to tie, send that game into overtime. They lost that by a point, followed that up against a good, solid North Carolina team and lost that game by seven points. So I agree with you. The one thing when I look at this team overall, physicality, that's the one thing that I I still, on the defensive side of the ball, that physicality that you know that when you guys played, it was a, a, a mindset at an intensity level. Can Mark Rick take that to the next level? I mean, on the defensive side of the ball. Forget the offense because he's an offensive guru, but that's what plagued him at Georgia. Can he be the guy to take this defense to the next level? I think so. I mean, there's a lot of kids, and I travel the country. I live in Atlanta. I'm in Pittsburgh right now going to the Steelers game tomorrow. There's a lot of kids where I run into who are top kids that really want to come to the U. A lot of these kids that, you know, we have been getting, they're happy to put the uniform on. They don't understand, you know, saying the tradition of we work hard. I mean, when the camera's off, we fought each other. I mean, I mean, Mike Irvin, you know, he'll go and, and fight with the DBs, you know, after every practice, one-on-ones, you know, who's the best. I would go at it, me and Highsmith, you know, with the linebackers, you know what I'm saying, the Rod Carter of the world, George Byron. So what happens, the coach can only do so much. It has to be internally within. Somebody within that locker room has to be that guy to step in. The coaches coach. We didn't need Jimmy Johnson or, or Howard Snellenberger. To, they, they just had to show up. So, I mean, even on our off season, we had no guidance as far as the coaches out there to tell us when to uh, work out or when us to, to do our drills. We, we called meetings and went to ourselves, and we showed up. You know, if a person was late, we would MF them. We'll go to a dorm room and kick the door in. If you laid up in the bed, you're chilling. I'm like, you think you're better than us? So the mindset has a change from within. There has to be individuals in with side, like the Ed Reed. You've seen the 30 for 30 to part two. 
Ed Reed basically, you know what I'm saying, he, he laid his life on the line. Like, look, you know, we got to have this. So we need that guy. I haven't seen that guy, the Sean Tellers of the world. We have not seen that. So once we recruit and find that guy who bleeds it, and then that can make that impact of like the Warren All right. of the world. You know, Mel, stay with us. Uh, not to cut you off, we have to go to break. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on College Football Game Day, Rich and I are going to talk about North Carolina and Virginia intriguing ACC battle. Mitch Trubisky and the crew on the road in Charlottesville. Virginia playing very well under Bronco Mendenhall, but in this matchup, Rich, even though it's a rivalry game, I think North Carolina has way too much speed. I think they win this ball game by 20. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, you know how big uh, of a fan I am of Larry Fedora's offense, skill position players all over, took a big hit at, at wide receiver. Uh, Matt Collins is injured, but th- they have backup plans with Ryan Switzer, uh, Elijah Hood out of the backfield. Uh, I, you know, Virginia's going to be up and down all year. It's going to take a while for Bronco Mendenhall. Tough loss last week by two touchdowns to Pitt. So I agree with you. I think it's North Carolina and the Tar Heels roll today. And Ricky Prohl's son, Austin Prohl, who's in that mix with Bug Howard and Hollins and Switzer, he's a, a possession receiver that really plays well and goes over the middle on dig routes. He's a playmaker as well. And the one thing I look at this matchup, Virginia is allowing 280 passing yards per game. They get beat when you can throw over the top of their secondary, even though they got the victory over Cooper Rush and Central Michigan. This is a different animal with North Carolina. I really think the offense breaks out and the defense now for North Carolina is starting to come around. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to. And, and Kurt Benkert is a, uh, an East Carolina transfer, the new quarterback at Virginia. He's up, he's down, he throws too many picks. And, and the one thing that Carolina does do well is they'll jump routes. They have veteran defensive backs, uh, athletic defensive backs. So if Benkert is uh, is a little bit iffy with his reads, North Carolina will take those balls the other way. Another intriguing battle in the Big Ten, Nebraska and Purdue. You thought Indiana would play very well. You were on spot with that, but they didn't get the upset in Bloomington, but they pushed Nebraska to the limit. I remember you saying this is not a top-10 team. We'll have to see, but I like Purdue to keep this game very close later today. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure what you're basing that on at this point. No coach in Daryl Hazel. I, I, I think the team could be a little bit uh, out of sync without their head coach. I'm not sure what they're playing for at this point. Nebraska is playing well enough to be a ranked team. I don't believe they're a top 10 team. I look at that talent. I don't see top 10 talent. No Jordan Westerkamp today. So I think they get the victory, but we're going to learn more about that team when they travel to Wisconsin a week from now. I agree, and that's why I like Purdue. If you look at Purdue, every other week they seem to play well. They're still fighting for a bowl berth at 3-3 three and three overall. So I like Purdue to keep this game very close. They're catching 24 points. And keep in mind, Purdue knocked off Nebraska in West Lafayette last year, 55-45. to We'll take a quick break. When we come back, this is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. 
Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Live from the Fantasy Sports Radio Network studios right here in New York City, we're talking Miami Hurricanes with former standout Melvin Bratton. He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. Mel, you were talking about an intensity level. Just finish up on that and, and then talk to me about running back Joseph Yearby because I love the way this kid runs and he plays with an intensity that I wish the defense followed through with. Well, yeah, well, a kid like that, Yerby, and, uh, you know, like Walton also, <clears throat> uh, make you laugh, uh, we, we, we took Yerby over uh, Dalvin Cook. All right, so go figure. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good laugh. <laughs> yes. So, no, no, this is just a mindset, man. We just, we'll, we'll get back to it. And Mark, Mark knows, you know what I'm saying, what the type of player. He's done a great job. You know, at, at Georgia, but I think the kids that we're going to keep and recruit is going to be those kids with that little edge about them that really wants to get the U back to where it is. Mel, uh, short term, I, I think one of the keys is is getting Brad Kaya back in 2017. I have no idea if it happens. I don't think he's ready today for the NFL. Handicap for us whether you think you can get Brad Kaya back for his senior year in 2017. Yeah, that, that's going to be interesting, you know. I mean, the thing is, I, I, well, we go back and forth. Lonzo Highsmith, Tolbert Bain, all of us on the phone, like, every week, you know, talking about this. I, it, he changed that system. Brad is more of a, you know, eye under the center, you know, with a fullback type guy. They was running that all summer. Something's going on. I don't know if his shoulder or his hand, something's happening for him to go in the spread, I think maybe Mark feels that the linemen that we have are not getting the job done where he's getting hit so early. So he's, he's backing them up because, you know, Brad is a real smart kid. So I see now they're changing going to more of that, that spread type, you know, offense now. They've, they've abandoned the whole eye, you know, saying fullback uh, type offense. So something's going on. I don't know if his Brad is hurt because a lot of the throws and stuff like that, he's going back and forth. But we pray that we can keep Brad for another year. It, it, you know, it'll help us instead of going. But they have a kid that they're recruiting uh, out of some part of Florida who runs the type of DJ Shockley type, you know, offense type athletic kid like the guy Lamar Jackson type uh, offense. So I hope that we, uh, we don't lose Brad and we go abandon that and go into that offense. Mel, wh- how big was the addition and the uh, administration to pour some money into the football facilities and upgrade that for this team to take the next step in the S- ACC and compete with uh, the Florida States and the Clemsons in the conference? Well, you know, I was there because, you know, I represent Artie Burns. And uh, the pro day this past year, it, 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 it showed it was storming. We had over 50, 60-some scouts, NFL teams there, and they couldn't get nothing done. I mean, it was storming, and it was just bad. It was a bad, bad showing. So Mark basically looked at that as like, you know, wow, you know, this, this has to change. And uh, our facilities was never the best. So with Mark coming from Georgia and Florida State to see what it takes to compete, kids are really on that now. Like, oh, look at the facilities, look at this. We didn't care about dang facilities. I mean, you know, we could put us in, in the hole in the wall. We're still going to fight. But that's the spoilness right now of the mindset of, you know, college football. You know, but we didn't care about that. We're going to get it in wherever it is. But we just need to get back to that grind. Mel, great information. Any time that we can hear from a great Miami hurricane such as yourself, I mean, thank you so much for taking the time today. We'd love to have you on if the Hurricanes make it to a bowl and get your intake about uh, how they match up later in the season. We hope you enjoyed it today. 
Thank you, bro. I appreciate having you guys. You're doing a good job, man. Congrats. Thanks, Melvin. That was former standout Miami Hurricane running back Melvin Bratton. Anytime we get him on the show, Rich, we got to take it. I mean, I love hearing. I mean, he lives and breathes Miami Hurricanes football. I mean, when you think of the U, you think of Testaverde, you think of Michael Irvin, you, you think of Melvin Bratton. I mean, look at that 1987 Orange Bowl. I mean, unbelievable player. I mean, he went to my Miami Dolphins. He did have the knee injury, but this guy brought it each and every Saturday. You know, we do this a lot on Saturdays, Joe, which really brings me back as a lifelong college football fan because you, you hear in the voice of these ex-players that it hasn't left them. You know, uh, Melvin Bratton is still a Miami Hurricane, and he still feels that passion. And for an audience to be able to sort of tap into that as well, I think is fantastic. Uh, just another great guest. And that's what it's all about. When you think of college football, that's what separates it. That's why we're talking about it because it is the rivalries. It is the passion that these kids have before they become pros it is bragging rights and this is what this is why we love this game because you see these matchups today and we were talking about tcu and west virginia and it's a big 12 game but there's bragging rights on the line i mean outside of that game last year in fort fort worth the last three games have been decided by a total of five points because the, the the intensity in this battle. So I see it, and I want to make sure we got your prediction. I see it, TCU winning this ball game by three to four points. You have West Virginia double-digit victory, correct? I actually have it 37-27, which would be exactly right on the cusp of a double-digit victory. I, I, I really believe, Joe, I, I became sold last week that this is – more of a complete team than I thought. Offense, defense, love what they do at the line of scrimmage. I think they could neutralize that good TCU defensive line. So uh, I, I'm going to stay on West Virginia for the time being. A quick hit here. I like Texas Tech to keep this game close against Oklahoma. I'm not sold. Perrine is out for a couple of weeks. Oklahoma minus seven in turnover margin and giving up 272 passing yards to opponents. I think Tech can move the football and keep this game close. You know, I, I disagree for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, yeah, Pirine is out, but I think Joe Mixon will make the most of this opportunity, arguably one of the two or three best backup running backs in the country. I think he'll revel at this chance for more touches. Oklahoma is beginning to roll downhill offensively. That's a big problem for that Texas Tech defense. And I'm not exactly sure if Patrick Mahomes' shoulder is 100%, Joe. I know he has played through that AC joint pain, but I don't think he looks like the same quarterback. North of 50 for Oklahoma. I think they cover easily. Hold that thought. We'll come back. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on College Football Game Day, live in the Fantasy Sports Radio Network here in New York City. Rich and I broke down some big games earlier today. We'll touch on some later games. Washington State, Arizona State, 10 o'clock start. I love what Mike Leach is doing in the Cougars. They're holding opposing offenses to 108 rushing yards per game. I love this team. I like the way they have things going, and I think they dominate Arizona State in this matchup, Rich. Not sold on Manny Wilkins or Brady White at the quarterback position, and they got beat down by Colorado last week. Uh, Wash State dominates this matchup. 
I'm with you, and I, you know it's a fun program to follow. I, I have, I got to admit, I, in the in the air of candor, I love Mike Leach. I think he's great for college football. Love his press conferences, but this is more than. Let's compare them to Texas Tech, okay? Washington State, Texas Tech, where Mike Leach came from. Both teams will open it up in terms of their passing attacks, put up big numbers. Great for you know Luke Falk or Patrick Mahomes, but Washington State is playing defense and they're beginning to mix in some run as well so as you get closer to a full both sides of the ball type of a program Washington State is very very dangerous when we're not talking about Luke Falk that much that's a good sign I agree with you not sold on ASU I think this is a route uh, in Pullman yeah Washington State is rushing for 140 yards per game and people say wow 140 yards last year they rushed for 80 under a Mike Leach system, they're in the area of 40 rushing yards per game. You could look at his days in Texas Tech, his early part in Washington State. What his ability to run the football now allows his team to milk the clock and rest his defense. That's why this team can be so dangerous playing Washington because if they can catch a lead and milk the clock and their defense playing the way it is under Alex Grinch, that is a dangerous recipe for success in the Pac-12 and their best. Back end, very successful in terms of pass coverage. And just to correct myself, tonight's game is is in Tempe, not Pullman. That's my mistake. But at the end of the year, when they do face Washington, that game will be at Martin Stadium. So not only are they playing well, but when they play that pivotal Apple Cup, Joe, that game is going to be on home turf. Yeah, Rich and I are just getting started. I'll throw out some quick tidbits about some of the games later today. An SEC battle between Mississippi State and Kentucky. Since 2011, Mississippi State is 5-0 and over the Wildcats and have won those games by 14 points per game. We'll get Rich's take about uh, who he likes in that battle, but I like Mississippi State in that matchup. LSU and Ole Miss we're going to touch on. Quick tidbit, LSU is 3-2 and since 2000. 11 and has won those ball games by 19 points per game. We're also going to be talking about Arkansas and Auburn. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He hits the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown! Oh Miss! This is College Football Game Day. Roberts is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the forward of the He's three. In. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Bye from the Big Apple Fantasy Sports Radio Network studio. Right here in New York City, college football game day. Rich and I were talking about Oklahoma and Texas Tech. We're waiting for former Texas A&M offensive lineman Richmond Webb to be joining us. But I like Texas Tech in this battle just because of their ability to challenge Oklahoma's secondary. I mean, they're averaging over 500 passing yards per game. Patrick Mahomes has the AC joint injury. But to me, I still like Kingsbury and the crew in this spot. You like them to cover. You don't like them to win, correct? Yeah, I, I th- th- it's 14 points, but I think this could be a seven-point game either way. Crazy things happen in Lubbock. Not an easy place to play here. 
I, I just don't see it. I mean, the Oklahoma offense with Baker Mayfield beginning to play like a Heisman candidate again. D.D. Westbrook on the outside has been virtually unstoppable the past three weeks. And I mentioned no Samaj P. Ryan. That's okay. I, I think Joe Mixon is actually a better next-level back than P. Ryan, more versatile in the passing game. So I, I think Oklahoma goes north of 50, and I, I see this game 52-31. to 31. I'd be shocked if, if Texas Tech – strange things happen in, in, in Texas. Texas Tech, like, no ability whatsoever to play defense. Well, we'll talk about that, but there's a battle in Tuscaloosa. Number six, Texas A&M. Number one, Alabama. What better way to break this game down than with a former Aggie? He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. I want to welcome in former Texas A&M offensive lineman and former NFL All-Pro, Richmond Webb. Richmond, how are you today? Hey, good morning. How you guys doing this morning? Uh, it couldn't be better. I'm bleeding Texas A&M Aggies. I called it at the start of the year, Richmond. I really feel this team has an opportunity to shock the world today. But tell me what you feel about this team overall entering this battle. And more importantly, what the addition of quarterback Trevor Knight has meant to that offense. Well, he's definitely been a great addition to the offense. But I think more importantly, the addition that we added when we added Coach Chavis as a defensive coordinator. Um, you can see night and day uh, compared to last year to this year. They're playing a much more physical style of defense. Uh, they're creating turnovers, and it's giving opportunities where either the defense is scoring or putting the offense in uh, great opportunities to score you know, quickly. So um, Coach Chavis has been a great addition, but, but – um, the quarterback play has been very, very, I'd say more consistent this year, and it's paid huge dividends for the Aggies. Richmond, Rich Sermonello, uh, Alabama with Jalen Hurts, the rookie quarterback, has kind of shifted more to a zone read type of an offense under Lane Kiffin. What are the keys for Chavis and that Aggie defense to sort of contain Hurts this afternoon? Well, you know, I, I'm really impressed with that young man, Hurts. You know, he's right out of Houston, Texas. Um, just his poise, you know, to be a true freshman to come in and run that offense and, and, and be in a in a position that he is. But um, the thing is, is just uh, try to get him to uh, to limit the play of the offense on on offense, and they have a huge so many playmakers on there. You know, you have him, Ridley. Uh, the tight end, probably four or five running backs. So um, the thing is, is try to get them in a situation where you can get them on and off the field and try to create a couple of turnovers. It's not going to be easy. Uh, Coach Saban is probably one of the best as far as getting his teams prepared for big games, and we're on the road. But um, uh, I say try to limit their, their their opportunities on offense and, and try to keep the ball in our hands. I think that's, that's the best scenario. It's not going to be easy, though. Richmond, the one thing I noticed about, we mentioned Trevor Knight, is his mobility and how that takes pressure off the offensive line. Last year, they allowed 37 sacks as an offensive unit under Kyle Allen and Kyler Murray. Even though they were mobile quarterbacks, offensive line could not hold up because of the decision-making process, in my opinion. But you see Trevor Knight, even though he's completing 53% of his passes, he seems like he knows where he wants to go with the football, and that's taking pressure off a, a makeshift offensive line. I want to get 
get your thoughts because this offensive line playing very well in the run running game as well, and uh, uh, pass protection only allowed six sacks through six games so far. Yeah, I, I think Trevor does a tremendous job. Um, we kind of run something similar, not the exact same thing as far as the read option, but um, his decision making has been huge this year of knowing when to you know keep the ball, let the running back have it, or when to you know hit the right receiver, go through his progression. So, um, you know, it, it starts at the at the offensive line, but when you got a quarterback that can make those decisions and uh, be effective at it, I, I think that's paid paid. Um, it's been a big difference, and I, I think everybody's kind of believing, everybody's kind of surrounded around Trevor, kind of like the guys at Alabama have surrounded around the true freshman hurt. So I, I'm looking for a great, great football game, and I think we can uh, we can go down there and win the game. It's just we got to play, you know, mistake free. We basically got to do everything right. But I'm, I'm looking forward to a, a, a huge game today. Obviously, a lot of great Alabama players. I, I think the best player in Tuscaloosa today uh, is Miles Garrett. Can you talk a little bit, Richmond, for folks that haven't watched Garrett, just how influential and chaotic he can be off the edge for the Aggie defense? Uh, I think you described this first. Miles is the type of guy, I call him one of those um, uh, freak freak type guys. I remember when Javon Kirst was at um, Florida, but, you know, he's probably 6'5", 260, 270, looked like he has about 3% body fat and probably runs a 4'4", 40, and just has an active, he's just a naturally great pass rusher. And, um, He's really excelled since his freshman year at A&M, even before Coach Chavis got there. But the things they're doing now and everything, um, uh, he's going to be probably easily a top five pick in, in the draft this year if he decides to come out. Richmond, what is the mindset? I I really believe that this team believes that they can play with Alabama. I, I know a lot of people in the country think, well, they can keep it close, but a lot of people don't feel that Texas A&M can actually win this game, but I really feel they have the personnel on the offensive side of the ball to spread out Alabama's defense, especially at the wide receiver position. You see guys like Kirk, Ricky Seals-Jones, Noel, and, and Reynolds. Talk to me about how they can attack Alabama's defense from an offensive perspective to put points up well alabama does a good job of uh rushing the passer uh their, their front seven the guys that rotate in and out at the defensive front they do have a, a great defensive front uh great safeties but I, I think there are some opportunities if you give the quarterback time that um i think they have some young corners and i, I think uh with the height and and uh the, the type of talent we have a receiver I think we can win some of those battles one on one at at the corner position, and if we can do that, I think that will really make a big difference in in the outcome of the game today. So, uh, first of all, we got to give Trevor time as far as you know protecting because they do have some great pass rushes, and if we can do that and give the receivers time to to you know run their routes and get on top of some of these cornerbacks, I think we have a good chance of making some big plays and uh, uh, pulling out a win. Richmond, I love the information. And more importantly, we we love having you on a little bit later in the show. I wish my Miami Dolphins had you protecting Ryan Tannehill's backside because unbelievable player in Miami and all pro. We hope you enjoyed it today. 
Man, I had a great time. I always have a great time. Thanks for having me on, and don't wait so long next time. <laughs> I'll have you on next week if Texas A&M pulls out this victory. You're coming on, my friend, because trust me, I'm rooting for the Aggies today. <laughs> hey, thanks, man. Great. Hey, you guys have a great day, and I always enjoy uh, coming on the show, and uh, I'm looking forward to my Aggies playing well today. Thank you very much. That was former standout Texas A&M offensive lineman Richmond Webb, eight-time All-Pro for the Miami Dolphins. I mean, I love this guy. Rich, did you hear the intensity out of his voice as well? Yeah, I heard the intensity. I heard a little bit of trepidation, too. I, I think Aggie Nation is excited for this afternoon, but when you're heading into Brian Denny against this Alabama team, you could also you could sense just a little bit of caution. But uh, I... I, I think it just sets up as a magnificent game. So much talent, so much next-level talent. Just a great matchup today. We're going to be diving into this game in the last half hour. I'm not letting Rich Sermonello off the hook because I'm chomping at the bit for Texas A&M. We still have three SEC games to get into, Arkansas and Auburn. We also have to talk LSU and Ole Miss, those repercussions within the SEC West. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello, live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back from New York, right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. We're touching on all the games today. Rich, let's talk about this Miss State-Kentucky ball game. I like Mississippi State. They've dominated the series since 2011. They're laying three points on the road. Not sold on Mark Stoops and this Wildcat team, especially on the defensive side of the ball. You know, I'll take Kentucky and not not in love with the Wildcats at this point. I'll base it on sense of urgency, Joe. They've had two weeks off. Obviously, you mentioned Stoops. He's got to win in order to uh, have an opportunity to come back in 2017. Team is, you know, 3-3, three and three, possibly a bowl-eligible team. I don't think it happens. But at home, Mississippi State struggling. At home, I'll take Kentucky. Yeah, you look at Kentucky overall, they've struggled in run support. Last year, they gave up 196 rushing yards per game. This year, it's no fix either. 194 to opposing offenses per game. That's a bad matchup. And they're allowing 31 points per game. I look at Miss State's offensive balance, passing for 210 per game, rushing for 191, and the inability for Kentucky to stretch teams vertically, only passing for 158 yards through the air, Rich. That's why I like Nick Fitzgerald. And they showed me something in Provo, losing that ball game to BYU two weeks ago. Yeah, big big Dan Mullen fan. I think they have the coaching edge uh, on the sidelines with uh, Mississippi State, but on the road, haven't been a great road team. Uh, Fitzgerald has been up and down in his first year as Dak Prescott's uh, successor. So, again, I, I think Kentucky has more at stake. Stoops does as well. So I think they get out with a, a, a you know somewhat of a – five to seven point victory. Here's an intriguing Pac-12 game. I mean, UCLA and Josh Rosen against Utah. Rosen's back. Here's, here's a kid that I think is overrated. I'm sorry. All the talent in the world. Everybody wanted to give him the Heisman two years ago when he threw for uh, 350 yards last year, week one against Virginia. To me, he doesn't have that it factor. He he just doesn't have it. I think Utah wins this ball game on the road tonight. 
Uh, I agree. I think Utah wins. I think UCLA is lost right now. I've talked to folks close to that program. The the locker room right now is very unsettled. Offense against defense, rookies against veterans. I, I think they're headed in the wrong direction. I disagree with you on Rosen. Hasn't gotten any support from his offensive line or his receivers. Just a true sophomore, so better days ahead for Rosen. And here's the thing I, I wanted to bring up about like Under Armour. They just assigned a $280 million mm. deal with UCLA. Yeah. What were you thinking about that? UCLA 3-4 and four with a possibility to go to 3-5 and five on the year. That's a bad investment. $280 million possibly down the drain. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get into the big ones. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Stay with us. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, three big games, marquee games, top 25 games in the SEC. What better way to talk about these than with a former standout in the conference? He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. Want to welcome in former Georgia Bulldog wide receiver, Corey Allen. Corey, how are you today? Hey, Joe, I'm excited. Just like everyone else in College Football Nation, we've got matchups here in the Southeastern Conference that are really going to be some great teams to watch when you consider what's at stake. This will be originally how the West was won when you look at the matchups today between these top six teams in the top 25. And uh, I think there are going to be some heads budding. And I really think there might be at least one upset here today, Joe. We're going to go rapid fire. We'll start with the game that's sort of a little bit down on the scale, Arkansas and Auburn. Question to you, Corey, is Arkansas a tired football team on the road today in the Plains in Auburn? I believe Arkansas has been through a lot. They've had a very adverse season to this point. They've had a lot of close matchups, and Brett Bielema has done a great job just trying to keep that team together. They're coming off some tough matchups, and, and, and they really want to try to get back on the winning track. I think taking this trip to Auburn is going to be a great test for this Arkansas Razorback team. Uh, Jordan Harris is not going to be a pleasant place, and Coach Gus Malzahn really has his team. Uh, they're probably – the Auburn Tigers are probably playing their best football, Joe. So I think – this is going to be a tough matchup for the Razorbacks, and they're going to have to turn it around really quickly because Auburn is probably on the best road that they've had this season. Corey, uh, that Auburn defense, uh, for real at this point? I think it's for real. When you look at the fact that they can apply pressure on the quarterback, they've got a decent enough secondary when you look at how they create turnovers. But when you consider the number one priority is getting to the ball carrier and, and impacting the quarterback – And I think that's what Gus Malzahn and the defense, when you look at Carl Lawson, that's what they specialize in. Trying to force uh, pressure off that edge is going to be key when you look at what the Razorbacks are going to want to do. Austin Allen has been the premier passer in the league when you look at statistics. And Carl Lawson is going to be the biggest opportunity on the defensive side for Auburn to impact that. Pressure is always going to be the best thing to bust that pipe. Quick, who's more important, the offensive line of Arkansas or quarterback Sean White for Auburn today? To be honest with you, I think it's the offensive line at Arkansas. I think Sean White at Auburn is just going to have to be be a solid quarterback, not turn the ball over, don't force his team into uh, uh, long-yarded situations, and don't allow that defense uh, for Arkansas to pressure his unit and give the Arkansas offense a short porch. I think the offensive line for Arkansas – is going to be the most important part of this game. Again, keeping pressure off of Austin Allen is going to be imperative. They've got Raleigh Williams, who's also going to have to have a great time finding some yards against this Auburn defense. So 
just looking at the firepower that Arkansas has, I believe that offensive line on the Arkansas side of the ball is going to be the major impact because they've got to face a defense that's created to provide pressure. Corey, talk quickly about uh, Austin Allen. He's uh, he's impressed the heck out of me this year. Didn't know what to expect first year as the successor to his brother Brandon, but uh, has done a pretty nice job in the first half of the season. Do you agree? Well, I agree. I mean, anytime you have a signal caller in your home, especially when it's a sibling, somebody that plays the position and can give you all the intricate details, you have an advantage. And I think that's what Austin Allen has, has really done a great job taking advantage of the opportunity to see the field, to grow with his unit, to learn the offense, not just under Bielema, but watching his older brother do it. He's got playmakers at the same time, Rich. So when you look at the fact that he can distribute the football to a number of different guys and have some success on an offense that's really built to score points, not just in the passing attack, but running the ball consistently, he's got a great offensive scheme that works well with his skill set. And it doesn't hurt when you have an older brother who's been through the reins who's had a chance to play in this league and who can give you all the tips that you might need as you play heavy competition on Saturdays in the fall. We'll turn our attention to the battle in Baton Rouge, Ole Miss and LSU. This, to me, it looks like a beat-up team in Ole Miss, but how important is it for Chad Kelly to break out against a solid secondary today in LSU, only giving up 208 passing yards per game? Well, Chad Kelly is going to really be the impact player that everyone's going to have to watch because Ole Miss, in my opinion, is probably the most closely talented team as far as uh, outside of Alabama. When you look at the talent that uh, LSU has on the field, and Chad Kelly cannot allow mistakes that he makes to put his defense in an awkward spot. Right now, the biggest question at at, at LSU has been their offense. We all know Leonard Fournette. We all know Darius Geist is a great running back. But the quarterback play is really what's hindered their growth. So you don't want to give that LSU offense a short field, which means Chad Kelly is going to, again, have to do a great job protecting the ball, making sure he finds the playmakers on his offensive side of the ball. I think going down to Baton Rouge and playing in that environment is going to be a bit tough. They're going to have to really watch how they play early. I think the impact player for Mississippi is going to have to be their tight end because he's going to match up against some great linebackers against LSU. And I'm speaking about Evan Ingram. Uh, one of the better athletes in the league. And I think that's where Chad Kelly is going to really have to find his balance so that he doesn't have any mistakes made against a defense that will be playing downhill down in Baton Rouge. Uh, Corey, what are your expectations for how Coach O will use Leonard Fournette? He hasn't played in almost a month. Darius Geis has ran exceptionally well. What do you expect as far as how he's going to juggle those two backs uh, this evening? My estimation is we're going to see a lot of Fournette. I think he understands what's at stake. The fans want to see Leonard Fournette. True enough, Darius Geis has proven that he's much more than worthy. He's a formidable running back, and he's the heir apparent. But to be honest with you, in my personal belief, I think Coach Orgeron is going to show uh, some favoritism or show a little bit of faithfulness in Leonard Fournette, who's done a lot for the university already to this point. And the fans love to see number seven carry the football. He's a dynamic player and you probably will only have him for the remainder of this season. This being his last year at LSU, this being an opportunity to play at home and right the ship, this being Ed Orgeron's chance to really, again, continue to stake his claim to possibly be the next head coach at LSU on a full-time basis. I think you use Fournette heavily, especially early, to find out is this a game where he's ready to take over? Because if he's not, you do have a great guy in Darius Geis, a guy who's ready to step up and contribute heavily who can come in and spell Fournette 
or even take those carries away. So I think you, you try Fournette early to answer your question because if he's on a roll, then you want to ride that horse until the wheels fall off. We'll turn our attention to the marquee showdown, number six, number one. Which quarterback is more important to their offense, Trevor Knight or Jalen Hurts, Corey? To be honest, it, it, it has to be Trevor Knight. When you look at what Texas A&M does, and especially the fact that they're going to take a road trip to Tuscaloosa, you're going against the number one team in the nation when you look at that Crimson Tide defense. And right now, Trevor Knight needs to be really – he's going to have to play almost perfect football. I think he has the right offense that really is going to keep him in a position to mitigate mistakes. He has a great running back in Trayvon Williams doing a great job with over 700 yards on the season already. I think handing the ball off is going to be important because what Alabama knows is that dynamic quarterbacks like to run against them. And I don't, I don't think that's what Trevor Knight – uh, is going to do today. I think he's going to surprise everyone and do his job from the pocket, and that's going to be the most important thing he can do. Find the playmakers on the perimeter, get the ball in the running back's hands. Uh, a guy like Trayvon Williams, as I said, is as I said, is already on pace to break a thousand yards here very soon. So I think that's going to be the most important quarterback role. Alabama. Uh, when you look at what Jalen Hurts has, he's got uh, ten guys around him, and they're all probably five-star athletes. That's the difference between Alabama and everyone else in the country, they're going to be two deep five stars, and I think that's going to be the difference in this game. Corey, we, we love to keep you on the back end. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from New York. Stay with us. Back on College Football Game Day right here in New York, live on Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Rich and I were talking about UCLA and Utah. I like Utah, Rich. Just want to make sure you have the prediction. Utah catching six points on the road in the Rose Bowl later today. Yeah, I agree. I don't like the direction of this UCLA program. Don't like what I'm hearing about the motivation of this team at large from Jim Mora on down. And and obviously concerned about an offense that has gained... Uh, 48 yards rushing over the past couple of weeks, now going up against that physical front of Utah. So I think Utah scraps out a victory 24-19. You know what the best team in the country is? It's not Alabama. Do you know who it is? Uh, It's not North Dakota State either, because I believe they (laughs) lost last week. It's Colorado. You want to know why? Because they're 7-0 against the number in Vegas, so that makes them the best team in the country. But they have a tough battle on the road in Palo Alto. They came off a dominating win at home against Arizona State. I was very impressed with that victory, the way they shut down the rushing attack of the Sun Devils. They now go on the road. Stanford's a little smarting after that road victory in South Bend. But I'm not sold on Stanford over. Overall, still negative in turnover margin, whether Christian McCaffrey plays or not. I'll go with the hotter team in the Buffaloes here. Yeah, as will I. I mean, it's a little bit dicey. Colorado not used to winning uh, on the farm. This is a big test for them. Can stay in the Pac-12 South race. But I agree with you. I think they're just the better football team right now. Uh, Cephal Lufau played well under center last week. Don't know if Christian McCaffrey is going to play, and if he does, he's not 100% for Stanford. I have not been impressed by Stanford at all this season. I have a Colorado 28-24, which would be another building block for Mike McIntyre if the Buffs could pull it off. Great coach, and I'm glad that they allowed him to stay there. We spoke about it. Here's a 
very intriguing battle. Intriguing in the sense of Michigan State and Maryland. If Michigan State doesn't win this game by 17 to 20, I'd be shocked. I'm picking the Spartans. Throw statistics out. Love Michigan State on the road today. If not now, when? I mean, Maryland is struggling. They've lost the last couple of games. They've come back down to earth. If Michigan State has any motivation and any motivation to get to a postseason game, you would think it would have to be this week against the Terps. And keep in mind that Michigan State plays Michigan next next week, so if they're to get any type of momentum, this will be the week. I look for a pound it between the tackles game. Blue collar, look for Michigan State to outwear Mich- uh, Maryland in this battle. Stay with us. We're just getting started. We'll continue in week eight. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network from New York City. Stay with us. We're taking a quick break. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Our key battle in Tuscaloosa, number six, Texas A&M, number one, Alabama. We're live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline with former Bulldog wide receiver, Georgia Bulldog wide receiver, Corey Allen. Corey, we were talking Trevor Knight, Jalen Hurts. The question for that I have for you is, defensively, can Miles Garrett and that defense create turnovers against Jalen Hurts later today? Well, they're going to have to find a way to apply pressure to Jalen Hurst. You, one, the one thing they cannot allow is for Jalen Hurst to be a comfortable pocket passer in this Alabama offense. Lane Kiffin does a great job spreading the ball around when you consider wide receiver Calvin Ridley or even O.J. Howard. I mean, they've got wide receiver Ardarius Stewart, who runs a lot of reverses and, and handles a lot of their motion. I think, personally, Miles Garrett and that Texas A&M defense is going to have to step up and apply pressure, especially to Jalen Hurts whenever he drops back, Joe, because if he has time to get the ball in the hands of his playmakers, I mean, even a guy like Damian Harris who leads the team in rushing for the Crimson Tide, you know, that's really going to impact that defense in a negative way. Creating pressure is going to be imperative, and I think that's the key to Texas A&M trying to slow down this Alabama attack. Corey, uh, it's it's always unfair to do, you know, apples to oranges comparisons, but where do you rank – This Alabama defense, I mean, so talented from front to back, maybe the best that Nick Saban has had, scoring touchdowns all over the place. Where do you rank them in the the grand scheme of thing of uh, Saban's teams? I think the jury is still out, Rick. I, I honestly believe this could potentially be one of the better defenses that he's had. I mean, just looking at the spread that Vegas has put out there, this is a 19 point spread on a number one versus number six matchup. True enough, Alabama's playing at home, but Texas A&M is no slouch. So I think the defense primarily is going to continue to identify themselves. This is going to be a big step in doing so. This can be the best defense that Saban has put on the field, but statistically they're going to have to continue to prove that. And they've got games on the table when you look at Auburn, when you look at LSU, when you look at the matchup today. They've got some matchups that are still going to try to force their hand to do some different things, and we'll find out that true identity. But right now, I mean, they're the most entertaining team by far because they score an average of at least one touchdown a week on defense. And to see those kids have that kind of fun on defense, playing together, playing under a system that's proven to be successful, that's really an an enjoyable thing to watch. And I can't rank that defense right now just to answer your question, but I'll tell you what, they're obviously one of his top three defenses, and they've got a lot left to prove. I. I just want winners. Ready? Who do you like? Texas A&M and Alabama, <laughs> Ole Miss and LSU, and Arkansas and Auburn. Rapid fire. Who do you like, Mr. Allen? 
starting from the top, Alabama's going to walk away with this one. Texas A&M just isn't ready. They'll show up, but it won't be close. Auburn and Arkansas is going to be the matchup I think we should keep an eye on. Jordan Hare is going to be a bit much. Carl Austin's coming off the edge for Austin Allen. I think the Tigers upset the Razorbacks. And the LSU Ole Miss down in Baton Rouge. Fournette might want to do it, but I do not think it's going to be enough. I see an upset on uh, for wow. the Tigers. I think the Rebels show up down in Baton Rouge for a big matchup, one touchdown possession game. I got the Rebels over the Tigers. I should have hung up on you when you said Alabama <laughs> over Texas A&M. Corey, love the information. You know that. You're our SEC insider. We'll catch you next week. We hope you enjoyed it today. Love it, guys. Go dogs. That was former Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen. All right, I'm chomping at the bit. I can't take it anymore. Texas A&M has the personnel to spread out Alabama's defense. Nobody in the nation outside of me and the people in Texas think Texas A&M is going to win today. I can't take it anymore. You cannot go into Tuscaloosa and think you're going to lose. If you watched this game last year, they were down 28-20 to with a chance to tie that ball game in the, four, in the fourth quarter. Kyle Allen did not come through. Texas A&M returned a punt for a touchdown. They also blocked a punt. For uh, to, to give them field position, and I really think that they're going to spread out Eddie Jackson, throw down the seam, and that'll open up the running lanes for Travion Williams and Trevor Knight. Upset City, baby. Texas A&M, 30. Bama, 28. You heard it here first. Well, you know what? And you'll hear it all week, folks, if Joe happens to be right. So you might want to be a Tide fan at this point. Here's the issue that I have. I have Alabama winning. Uh, I would take those points. Number six team in the country. I know how good Alabama is. I'll take those 19 points. But my problem is offensively for Texas A&M, Joe, you have to run the ball to be successful. Nobody runs it on Alabama. And you don't have that gunslinging quarterback, that accurate passer, that Chad Kelly, that Johnny Manziel to really take advantage of the Alabama personnel. I like what Trevor Knight has done. Great manager, perfect fit as a senior for Kevin Sumlin, running the ball well. Not a great passer, though. I I don't think he's going to solve that Alabama secondary. So I have a hard time seeing A&M getting beyond 20, 21 points. So I have a hard time seeing them winning. Well, here's the thing, and I understand your your comments, and I understand where you're going. But here's what I think that... Texas A&M can do formation-wise. They have four big play wide receivers. Josh Reynolds, Ricky Seals-Jones, Speedy Noel, Christian Kirk. You spread Alabama out. You spread them wide to loosen up the front seven. Get them out of their base defense. Allow them to use nickelbacks. Put Travion Williams in the slot. You have to utilize different formations to create running lanes. But it's not just for formations. You have to throw on first and second down. You cannot run the football on running downs on Alabama and run on the perimeter sideline to sideline. You need to hit them between the tackles. The way you do that is you need to loosen up formations and now you have to force them to put a spy on Trevor Knight. And you saw the way that matchup played out in Arlington against Arkansas. Later in that battle, there were running lanes that were able to be created due to the fact that Trevor Knight hit the deep ball to Josh Reynolds in man-to-man coverage. I expect the same type of opportunities, but it has to start early. It has to start in uh, Tuscaloosa quickly, and it's imperative that Texas A&M starts first and puts the pressure on the the freshman quarterback, Jalen Hurts, because he's used to playing with the lead. 
No, that's an interesting point. I mean, as as dynamic as Hertz has been, he is still a true freshman, just a year removed from high school, a huge setting. He's done well up to this point. So obviously I, I wouldn't be shocked if he continues to play well, Joe. But this is a very good A&M defense, and it's more than just Miles Garrett. Uh, the tackles have played well. Sean Washington on the second level. Love their safeties, Justin Evans and Armani Watts. So I, I think A&M can compete, but I just believe Alabama – is a cut above, particularly now that they have some offensive explosiveness, uh, you know, with Jalen Hurts, with Calvin Ridley, with O.J. Howard. I have a hard time seeing the upset, but I appreciate your consistency. I knew that's what you were going to come with this, uh, this morning. <laughs> well, as a former player, and you know, you cannot think that you're going to lose. I mean, I don't care what anybody in the nation says. Oh, they're 19-point fit. I don't care. You stick your helmet in the chest of the opposing guy, and you force turnovers, and you go in with that mindset. And again, that's the game of football. Too many times. That might be more of a motivation, Joe. That might be more. Of, 19 points might be more of a motivation for a and But that's all they've else. heard. I agree with right. you. But that's all they've heard, and, and everybody on TV, oh, well, they're 19-point favorites. Who cares? We've seen 40-point favorites lose. USC lost to Stanford as a 42-point favorite to Jim Harbaugh. I mean, it can Peter happen. Pritchard, I believe, right? Uh, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sick of hearing that. Can we stop? This is a good football team that beat Arkansas, that beat Tennessee before Alabama did when they were both undefeated. And you could use the argument that uh, Texas A&M explored the weaknesses of both of those teams for Alabama. So I'm tired. And then it's not to take away from, I'm not an Alabama hater. Nick Saban is Mm -hmm. God. He's the best coach of modern day for national champions, uh, championships since 2009. But let's be honest. This is a good team that has an opportunity to pull off the upset. We're just getting started. Rich and I are going to talk about Arkansas and Auburn. I like Auburn. Auburn's rushed for 252 rushing yards in the last four games, Arkansas has allowed 233 yards in the last four games per game rushing to opposing offenses, so keep an eye out for that. And then we're going to talk about that Ole Miss and LSU battle. Can Chad can Kelly and that offense get hot in Baton Rouge? More importantly, can Leonard Fournette have an effect on that offense? We'll see. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network from New York City. Back on College Football Game Day live from the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. A big battle in Happy Valley, Ohio State and Penn State. Rich, I know Ohio State got the scare last week in Madison. I don't see it happening. They're averaging 300 rushing yards per game. Penn State's defense giving up 208 yards per game on the ground. I think Ohio State blows out Penn State in a whiteout later tonight. Yeah, I agree. One of the best settings in college football. I I think from that standpoint, there will be a lot of uh, pomp and circumstance. The whiteout is fantastic. I just don't think Penn State has the talent to keep pace with Ohio State. Few do. I see two game changers on the Nittany Lions. Saquon Barkley, the running back. Marcus Allen, the free safety. Two outstanding players. But that is not enough against the depth and the overwhelming talent of Ohio State. I see it 38-17. to 17, Ohio State rolls in the second half. Here's an intriguing battle. Michigan, Illinois. I mean, it's Lovey Smith, Jim Harbaugh. They have the Spartans on deck. They're laying 39 points to Illinois. I think Illinois could keep this within the number. I know they've dominated teams, but Illinois a lot better than a 40-point number against Michigan and Ann Arbor. 
I think it all comes down to whether or not Jim Harbaugh wants it. I mean, I think he'll be in position to get to 40. It depends if he empties the bench in the third quarter or the fourth quarter. Is he using Jabril Peppers on offense? Uh, you know, beyond halftime. What exactly is his motivation? If he wants to win by 45 against Illinois, I think he can. I think the possibility is there. And then you have to wonder, Michigan, with the week off, are you rusted or are you recharged? That's the question for Michigan. Here's two games, 12:30 starts, Syracuse-BC. I like Boston College to contain Syracuse. It's a wet track. It's a dreary day. They're only giving up 148 passing yards per game. I think Boston College contains Cuse, and I think they try to get them into an ugly type of game between the tackles. Yeah, it's a possibility, Joe. I, I think Syracuse is uh, one of those programs that I, I don't know how they're going to handle the prosperity, the excitement of that victory over Vatek last week. Now they have to go on the road. I, I think that could be a problem for Dino Babers. Has Syracuse headed in the right direction? But can you build off of a big victory? I'm questionable about that, so I'll agree with you. I'll take Boston College. I'm going to go slight upset. Just your thoughts. I like ECU over Cincinnati, 7 o'clock tonight. They're catching a point and a half. Yeah, I broke the story this week that Gunnar Keel is going to get his first start of 2016, so I'm really excited to see if he can make a push in front of NFL scouts. He's got uh, half a year's worth of auditions. I'm going to go with Keel. I think he galvanizes that offense. He sparks that Cincinnati team and beats East Carolina. We'll take a quick break. We'll get the rest of the Week 8 predictions. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Stay with us. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Last segment of the show, we have two big SEC battles to talk about. LSU and Ole Miss, Arkansas and Auburn. Rich, when I look at this LSU team overall, I know they haven't played. They don't have that quality win. You look at their resume, they're coming off a dominating performance over Southern Miss, 45-10. to 10. But I really think the defense coming around under Dave Aranda, only giving up 103 rushing yards per game. And I look at that Ole Miss defense that's allowing 212 rushing yards on the ground. You saw them get worn out by Arkansas in the second half, 34-30. to 30. They now go back on the road, back-to-back road games. I think... Ed Ogeron just looks to wear them down and then throw over the top with Danny Etling. I think this game could get ugly later on. I think uh, LSU wins by 17 or more points today. Yeah, I'm with you. I see a double-digit victory for LSU. A couple of things. Leonard Fournette returns. Uh, You don't necessarily have to have him back because I think Darius Geis is a number one in the SEC. I think he's a true feature back. Now you could have access to both of those players. The other thing, Joe, is if you're Ole Miss and you're going on the road to Baton Rouge, you're going to need a huge game from Chad Kelly. I just don't see that happening against that LSU secondary. Kevin Tolliver, Tredavious White, Jamal Adams, the strong safety. Way too much talent on the LSU side. I, I see a couple of picks from Chad Kelly. I see some desperation throws late. I also see a comfortable victory for LSU. Yeah, I agree with you. Something about Chad Kelly, he had it in the early part of the year against Florida State, against Alabama. He seemed on. Then I watched that game last week. Even though he played well, 
his decisions sometimes he looks inconsistent towards as mm-hmm. the seasons progress. So I don't know if he's banged up. He took a hard shot at the end of that ball game that to fumble the football right at the first down marker. Is he nicked up going into this game? That's a concern for me as well. And you know Baton Rouge at night. I just can't go against that atmosphere, especially with LSU. They're going to want to get some momentum going into the bye week against Alabama. And you look at this yeah. offense overall. They're pounding the rock. I mean, they're still rushing for 228 yards on the ground. So I, I know Darius Geis, he leads the nation in yards per carry, nine yards per carry. I mean, this guy is phenomenal. And then, oh, you could go to Leonard Fournette to just spell him, to work him into the rotation. Right. Yeah, what, what do you have, five, six points are they laying? Yeah, it's up to six and – well, it's up to seven and a half now in Vegas, but it, it opened I'd at five and a half. I'd still lay that. I- yeah, I'd still lay that. I, I think the betters are smart. They're 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 putting a lot of money on LSU for good reason. I, I think they roll tonight and continue to roll into that huge game against Alabama two weeks from now. Now, this game on paper, when I first looked at it, I said, wow, Arkansas, they, they can win this ball game. Last year, they, they won the game in four overtimes, 56-44 to 44 or 54-46 to 46, uh, in a wild one. Now they go on the road. I'm just not sold on their defense. They're allowing 47% third down conversions. When you give up that much on third down and you can't get off the field, that's that worries me as a as if you're playing this team overall, wanting them to win. I like Auburn at home. I, I just feel like Gus Malzahn has more consistency, and I like the way the secondary's playing for Auburn in the back end, only giving up 199 yards per game. Yeah, it's been quite a turnaround. I mean, Auburn has played very well this season. Even their losses have been games in which the defense has shown up. They've been able to mask the inconsistencies at quarterback of Sean White. Here are a couple of things, though. Arkansas is a very good football team, had that big win against Ole Miss. I love Austin Allen. The run defense is horrible. The concern that I have right now is, do you have Kerryon Johnson, the running back of Auburn? Uh, not even sure if he's going to play tonight. That would be a big loss for Auburn. I don't know if they could fully exploit the Arkansas defense if they don't have that two-headed monster of Johnson and Cameron Petway. So I think Auburn wins. I think they continue to play well. I'm not sure if they win by more than double digits, so I'll take the points in Arkansas. And tonight. it's up to 11 now, which is unbelievable. I Ten, would take those points, it's, yeah. It's, yeah I, I, don't think the, I don't think there's an 11-point gap between these two programs. It's Auburn incredible. Auburn is better and Auburn is home. Yeah, I mean, you, you look since 2011, Arkansas has won three of the last five by 16 points per game. And, and like I said, they won this matchup by eight points in Fayetteville last year. The one thing about Arkansas is that they're gutty. They, you, you just can never seem to put them away. The only time they got put away was by Alabama, and it's, it's incredible. That was the one game that I picked them to, put, to play Alabama very tough, and that's where they just threw in the towel, and the, the dagger went right through their heart. But here's the thing about Auburn that you have to watch overall. They're running the football, and it's not the Gus Malzahn way. They're starting to run the football between the tackles. They're yeah. not running sideline to sideline anymore. And you're right about Johnson. I like Petway, though. I, I like what he does. He, he's sort of a shifty type of back. Doesn't have breakaway speed, but he just finds ways, to, and he always falls forward in terms of when he gets tackled. He's averaging 5.5 yards per carry, four rushing touchdowns. 
touchdowns. And here's the thing when you look at Auburn overall. I mentioned the secondary only giving up 199 passing yards per game. Run support, they're only giving up 147 yards on the ground per game. If they can make Austin Allen one-dimensional or put him into third down and long situations, their third down defense, they're holding opposing offenses 31% conversions. So that's big, too, because you force third down and long, then the, the fans get into it, you force predictable situations, and your secondary can take over. That's what I see this matchup playing out. It, it just strikes me as the kind of SEC West game, you know, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock here on the East Coast, that it's tight in the fourth quarter. I, I just don't see that level of a gap between these two teams. 11 points is a, is a healthy number. I like Auburn. I love what Gus Malzahn has done, Joe. He's adapted to his personnel. You mentioned the running style that this team has been using. That is not traditional Gus Malzahn. So credit to both he and his staff that they're adjusting to their personnel. It's working. Carl Lawson is doing a terrific job uh, on defense at the defensive end position. So Auburn continues to win. I think this game is closer than expected, though. We're just getting started. Stay with us each and every Saturday, 10 a.m. through 12 p.m. right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. For Rich Sermonello, I'm Joe Lisi. Tweet us at Go for the Two at Rich Sermonello. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the games. Last segment on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. We're going to go rapid fire. Rich, here's a game that's interesting in terms of just just for argument's sake. I mean, Colorado State, UNLV. I like what Tony Sanchez has done here. I like UNLV to cover this number, minus one and a half over Colorado State, even though the Rams got a gutty uh, game. They played a gutty game against Boise State and lost 28-23. to I think the Rebels have too much at home. Yeah, I agree with you about Sanchez. High school coach before he got to the uh, to the Rebels, so it's taking some time, but uh, he's doing a nice job of recruiting. I think he'll continue to build in Las Vegas. I agree with you. Victory over Colorado State. Small upset here. Navy, they're underdogs at home to Memphis, but Memphis had a lot of problems with Tulane. That's a run-heavy offense with Willie Fritz. I like Navy. Slight upset. I think they should be favored. I think they get the victory over uh, the Tigers in this battle, 330 today. It's a great game. Yeah, it's a great game. It's a, it's a great game of importance to the American West Division. Winner takes over the lead. I'll take Navy. In Annapolis, slow track could possibly slow down the playmakers like Anthony Miller on the Memphis side, Riley Ferguson on Memphis. Mike Norvell, by the way, Joe's done a nice job with the Tigers so far. I think they'll have a difficult time containing the option of Navy. Excellent point. Wanted to get your take. I like Purdue with the points. Do you like Nebraska laying 24 at home today? I'll take Purdue just because I'm not in love with Nebraska at this point. I'll take the points. I don't know what to expect from a team now that their head coach is gone. But Nebraska, to me, I think still has a lot to prove. They're laying the points of a top 10 team. I think they're more of a top 25 team at this point. So I'll take the points reluctantly. I'll agree with you on the Boilermaker. Outside the games we spoke about, I'm trying to find an upset special. I'll take this one. I like Fresno State later tonight against Utah State. I don't like the way Fresno State's been playing, but Utah State, to me, they're 2-6, and six, uh, two and 2-4 overall. I like the Bulldogs to play this game close to catching 17-and-a-half. 
I'm going to have to go with your wisdom on this one, Joe. Uh, your upset specials have done well so far this year, so uh, I'm going to—I'll be in your camp. I'll, I'll be betting in your direction. <laughs> we can buck. I know our chi is off with Texas A&M and Alabama. Don't even think about texting me at three thirty today because no, I'll be not, not at. Not at 3.30, but about 6.30 you'll probably be hearing from me. <laughs> uh, it's, we're, this is why we love college football. Stay with us each and every Saturday right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Enjoy the games for Rich Sermonello. I'm Joe Lisi. Have a great weekend. Follow us all season long. Follow us at Twitter, Echo for the Two, at Rich Sermonello. Have a great weekend, everyone.